David. Godspeed. Hope everybody had a great week, and I hope you guys are excited to kind of finish up uh, this unit. I think it's, in some ways, it's my favorite unit that we do. It's the, it's the most important unit, and I think that inside, the, like these last five weeks, are the most important truths for your life. Um, and so, I, I think if you get, if you get the point of this, you'll get the point of life, and all the rest is just details where you work, what your job is, what you specialize in, where you move to, how things go. Um, God will be gracious to you and, and work through the, the highs and lows of that. If you get this, you get life. Conversely, if you miss this, if you miss the ideas here, but you get the gr- a great job and you make a ton of money and you're, um, you get the vacation house you want in just the right place and you have the nicest TV and you have all the things the world says, this is what you need to be happy, uh, you'll miss the point of your whole life. And so... Um, I know we kind of say this every week, but I just encourage us, let's all lock in for the next 30, 35 minutes, because I think this stuff really matters. And so let me start by saying, like, what's the most important questions that, that, that you ask yourself, um, that you would maybe, if you're sitting up late talking to a friend, that you would ask each other, and maybe when you're shut off the distractions, turn off Twitter, you know, mute Netflix, sit, sit at home at night after everyone's gone to bed, and you just are kind of thinking about life, what are the most important questions? And so... We've submitted that we think that there are five questions that are essential for your life. And you can't be a thoughtful, uh, introspective, fully um, mature adult in 2019 if you haven't considered these questions. And so the first question is, who is God? And so going back, I'm, I'm tempted to say going back to Plato, but obviously even before Plato, every great thinker in the history of the world has contemplated this question. There have been different answers, but the question is, who is God, has got to be a, a, a part of that. And um, as we answer these questions briefly, I, I want to kind of put, lay my cards on the table. Different types of Bible studies, of gathering of of Christians. You can be in a book club, or you can be in like a a, a mom's group or a professional group, and you come around, and you kind of share your experiences and your thoughts. I can't be in a mom's group. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's right. Okay, thank, thank you, Dr. Fragola. Uh, <laughs> This is not that kind of group, though, right? This is not a group where, hey, everybody finished work. Everyone's got a million things going on. we got final exams tomorrow. I think what you should do is take time out of those type of schedules, come over, and listen to what I think about your life. David's tips for life. So if you came here tonight for that, you wasted your time, right? There are better places to get advice. There are people who like written books, like life manuals. Go do that somewhere else. So my interest in the answer to these questions is not what I think, and I want to try to do my very best. Of course, I can't do perfect, but I want to do my very best to pull my biases out of the way. And let's see what the Bible says. How does the Bible answer these questions? So um, and that's really the way we ought to approach everything, right? Especially theological questions. What you think is, is relevant and kind of adds some seasoning and spice to the conversation. But ultimately, the question is, what has God said? Not, not what do you think or what feels culturally comfortable. Okay, so having said that, here's how we've answered the question in this series. Who is God? So God's character is both holy and loving. And um, there's some references down there to kind of to lay out what that means. But in briefly, being holy means he's separate from sin and he will judge sin. That's an important central element of God's character. God cannot be in the presence of sin. Equally important, though, is God is loving. God has to love sinners. And so, at the very beginning in the character of God, we see this dichotomy in the gospel. A God who will judge sin and be separate from sin, and a God who deeply loves sinners. And so, when you bring the next question into that, we really hit attention. So, who am I? And the answer to that is, we are sinners who are separated from a holy God. 
So going back to God's character, if we're sinners and God can't be in the presence of sin, then there's a problem from the very beginning of, of the story of humanity. And that problem is really what the Bible's about. So, uh, the Bible, you know, sometimes you hear people say, like, God, the Bible is, a, is a, a love letter to us, or the Bible is, is good history, or the Bible is parables about how to live a moral, profound life. All of that is true in a way, but ultimately the Bible is God's story about how he answered this question. His character is holy and loving. He must be separate from sin. He deeply loves the sinners he created. How does he reconcile that? And so God made a story, right? And so from the very beginning, we're separate from God, from sin in the garden. God just picks this one special family, this pagan man named Abram, picks him out for no apparent reason. He's like wandering out under the stars. and picks Abram out and says, I'm going to bless you. And, be, and as I bless you, I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to give you great people. And the third promise he makes Abram is, I'm going to bless all people in the whole world through your line. And so the story of the Old Testament winds Abram's family. He becomes Abraham, the nation of Israel, the kings, the prophets, exile. And then the Old Testament ends, and, and God's silent. God's people are in exile. God's people return back home, rebuild the temple, and then the king is born. So we're going to celebrate that in Christmas in just a little bit. But the, the point is, the King Jesus comes from the line of Abraham, who God promised he would bless the whole world with. So God's going to bless the whole world through Abraham's line. And so that leads us to the, the third question, is who is Jesus? So Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, and God's love sent Jesus to the cross, satisfying the wrath of God. As forgiven sinners, we can now be in the presence of, of holy God. So if you look at those verses, you kind of knock out. But part of the theme here is God's wrath, His hatred of sin. Um, God's going to punish sin. That's part of His nature. That's part of what it means to, for Him to be righteous. But God's love for sinners would not let Him leave it at that. So what's God's solution? God relieves this tension by taking on our sins for Himself. So, does God hate sin? Yes. Look at the cross. Does God love sinners? Yes. Look at the cross. That's where that tension is relieved. And then the fourth question we ask is, what is faith? And so, we talked about last week, <clears throat> if, if Jesus um, provides us a way for relationship with God forever, how do we access that blessing? And the biblical answer is we access it through something called faith. So, faith is this idea that we both believe and trust in the work of Christ. And so what it means to believe is that we, we intellectually assent. We believe that it's true that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that it's true that Jesus rose from the grave. We believe that it's true that we can be reconciled to God. And then trust is not only that, that we believe that, but we trust God with our lives. So we give over all of ourselves. We're immersed into God's love. And so that's what the idea of baptism is about. We're immersed. We're showing our trust in God. And so both belief and trust are part of biblical faith. And so that leads us to the last question, is death the end? And so um, this is a question, maybe um, of all the questions, would be a question that we're not supposed to ask in 2019 Western culture. And that is because we're a culture that's obsessed with um, comfort and pleasure and ease, right? And if there's anything that's not comfortable or pleasurable or easy to think about, it's the fact that everybody in this room 150 years from now is not going to be alive, right? I, we don't want to think about that, right? Let's just let's just turn the game on, cheer for the Grizzlies to lose, so we can get a high draft pick. Like that's a much <laughs> easier way to, to spend the evening, right? But um, I'm a Grizzlies fan for the podcast listener. I want a high draft pick. I don't. He's wearing a Grizzlies. Yeah. Yes. Ultimately, we're cheering for victory, but we have a long-term perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We should do that. We should do a Grizzlies and God series and talk about... 
<laughs> how God works through tough times. Yeah. And got to got to have grit even when it's t- tough. Yeah, I like it. Well, let's we'll talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Keep grinding. Yeah, the grindstone. That's like an Old Testament thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyways. <clears throat> so this may be like the singular question we're not supposed to think about. It, it really, this really is an affront to kind of postmodern uh, American thinking, this idea of is death the end. But I want us all, as, as uncomfortable as it may be, to consider there's probably somebody in this room that um, is going to pass beyond this world in the next 25 years. If you're just playing the odds, there'll be some tragedy, somebody will get some disease. You know, Your life won't be as long as you expect it to be. There's probably somebody in this room that's going to be alive 90 years from now. You know, as... as Medical technology improves, and um, some of us in the room are going to take good care of us. Some of us are just going to get lucky. You're not going to get disease. You're not going to get in a car wreck. So um, the point is, when we pass on, is going to be probably divergent in this room. But the truth is, ten thousand years from now, you're not really going to care if you live another thirty years or another ninety years, right? So what I want you to consider is what questions are going to matter ten thousand years from now, okay? And that's the ultimately the meaning behind the question: Is that the end? Because if the answer is yes death is the end, then nothing you do now matters anyways. Your body's going to decay and you'll blow off into stardust with the heat death of the sun as the earth decays a few millennia from now. Um, but if death is not the end, then the only questions that do matter are, are what happens after death. The only questions with ultimate significance. <clears throat> so here's my first premise. Every person on the planet, including you, is a forever person. A forever person. Our existence will not cease when our body takes its last breath, but will continue into eternity. So in this series, we've done something that, that I guess if you went to like teaching school, they would tell you, do not do this, which is have you read to each other, right? That's kind of a boring thing. But the reason we're doing this is because I think we're, we're dealing with the most important questions. And so I'm just, we have decided we want to visibly show in how we teach that our opinions are less important than the Word of God. So when we make an important point, let's go around the room and read how the Bible teaches that exact point. So we can just start here and we'll just go around. So Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. All right, Daniel 12, 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 25, verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. <clears throat> okay, so those those verses are to make the point that, that you're a forever person. You are going to exist 10,000 years from now. So our sub-point is your eternal condition will be determined by your relationship to God. So Ecclesiastes 12. I'm sorry. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. All right, Ryan. Sorry, Romans 2, 5 through 11. <laughs> All right. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay, will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject truth and follow evil, there will be... <coughs> There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jews, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
for God does not show favoritism. All right, so our eternal condition will be determined by our relationship to God. Second, we're justified. This is the biblical word for being made right. We're justified in our relationship to God through faith in Jesus. So Romans 3, verse 25. I'll get you. Yeah, so, you yeah, yeah. Romans 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice and of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Okay, so let's stick at our second point. Our eternal destiny is based, is dependent on our response to Jesus and His gospel. Our response to Jesus and His gospel. So not only are you going to live forever, not only will your eternal condition be dependent on your relationship to God, but that your relationship to God is going to be derived by your response to Jesus. So John 3, verses 36. Okay. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains you know, every once in a while, you know, we live in a culture, right? And so, of course, we're influenced by our, by our culture. That's one of the, the great um, insights of kind of modern leadership theory and understanding of human behavior is that we all are products of the culture that we exist in. So I just want you to consider this. If, you're, if you see yourself as a leader either now or in the future or a leader of a family or a leader of an organization, the best way to do that is to not manage behavior but manage culture. Right? So if you create a culture of high expectations, then you don't have to go around and micromanage every detail of the family. Right? Your, your children will, of course, they're not going to be perfect, but they'll be living within the culture that surrounds them. And the same is true for us and for churches. Right? We live within a culture. And so this would be kind of a countercultural verse. Right? We, we don't like to say things like, God's wrath remains on them. Right? That's very you know, kind of un-American to say something like that. In fact, you sometimes will see churches say things like, Jesus isn't, um, Jesus isn't a Savior of wrath. He's a Savior of love. So, of course Jesus is a Savior of love, but this is Jesus talking right here, right? So um, I think we can get into trouble sometimes in the modern church by, like, by, by quoting Jesus, right? So Jesus' opinion is, it would be kind of unpopular um, with some of the people who proclaim to, to, to speak and preach for him. So we need to be careful about that. And um, we also need to be careful, well, I think a mistake that's made um, in the current day, but maybe even especially in the past, is you, you can get too far on the other side too, right? So Jesus is all about wrath, and he's, that's all that he's about. And of course, that's not true either. And that's an, that's an equal and opposite mistake. So I think a lot of times wisdom isn't in choosing one extreme versus the other or even trying to find the middle balance. Both to match Jesus hates with a wrathful vengeance sin. Yes, he does. Your sin is serious. Jesus, Jesus does not take your sin lightly and you should not either. You should take sin seriously. We should take sin seriously in our with in our friendships. If we have a friend in sin, we need to, we should fight for them to get them out of it. In our churches, we don't need to have brothers and sisters living in sin. In our churches, we need to confront them and lead them out of sin. Um, but at the same time, Jesus loves sinners absolutely, passionately, chases after sinners, feast with with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, and died for them. Right. And so let's not make the mistake of thinking that we have to somehow choose. Are we going to be uh, people who preach a gospel? of love or gospel of, of truth and wrath. And of, of course that's a false choice. You don't have to choose. And in fact choosing means to miss the whole point of the gospel. 
All right. Um, so, okay, we're still reading verses here. So Acts 17, 30, and 31. Set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Man, sometimes like the, the authors of the Bible just say this better than we can, right? So this is Paul here, and he's just going at it like he's like. I don't know if you guys know who Jimmy Allen is. He's a was a preacher at Harding uh, University, but he would like really get into it sometimes. So Paul's just in like one of these like I mean he's like red faced right here. He's really like this is the point. He's saying in the past God overlooked sin but now but now he's commanding everybody everywhere to repent to turn to him because God has set a day when he's going to judge the world with justice by a man he appointed so how but how is that fair how is God going to judge everyone by a man he appointed well God showed you who this man is because he raised him from the dead right so who's the man he's going to is going to be is the basis for your judgment the one that God raised from the dead Jesus Jesus that's that's gospel right there okay Romans 5 verse 21. That's right, man. So it's not just about sin and wrath. It's also about grace reigning through righteousness. And Romans 8, 38 and 39. This is Kyle's favorite verse. It is. I'll read it. <laughs> I'm glad you knew that. Uh, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we may rush to the end here and... Um, because uh, I don't want to be here all night, but I do want to pause and make this point. But because part of the paradigm of Scripture, the, the story the Scripture is telling, is about this separation, right? So we're, we sin occurs and we're separated from God in the garden, and the rest of the story is about restoration, right? And so that's why this verse is so significant because Paul's saying in this story about separation, that's what the the holy and the most holy place is about in the temple. It's how the Jews would separate themselves and keep themselves apart from other nations and their sinful practices. The whole paradigm of of first century Jewish thinking is about separation. So Paul's speaking of that paradigm and saying, in, in speaking about what can separate us from God's love. And his answer is different than the answer that his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents had. And his answer is nothing. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from God's love. After death, there is either eternal life, Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or eternal wrath. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. In Revelation 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. 
Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, uncomfortable verses, but I would just <coughs> say um, that they're in the Bible and they're true. Every single person will be thrust into one of these two options. Matthew ten twenty eight. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and the body. <coughs> Again, that's Jesus speaking. Mark 9. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. <clears throat> it's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. There's where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Um, it is better for you to enter, the, enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So that again is Jesus. And then Hebrews 9. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for I'm not sure who wrote that. That's in Hebrews. Maybe Apollos. Okay. <laughs> if we choose to live without Christ now, we will die without Christ forever. Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, if you are depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the death of his angels. And that's that's Jesus speaking. And in 2 Thessalonians 1 give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord from, and from the glory of his might. Alright, so again, the, the point here is if we choose to live without Christ now, we will die without Christ forever. So there's a lesson later on in the series about what is hell. Is hell real? What do these symbols mean? I think it probably suffices to say here that it may be true that many of these descriptions of hell in Scripture are symbolic in nature. There's a citation there from one of my favorite theological textbooks written by Jack Cottrell. Um, But there's no doubt, however, what these texts are symbolizing is an undesirable existence. So sometimes I think you'll run into somebody that says, you know, don't be so scared of hell. These descriptions are symbolic. And act like that's like this profound thing. Um, as if um, as if what these descriptions symbolize is something desirable. Like th- th- these, dis- these are not metaphors for like uh, a trip to Disney World, right? <laughs> these, are, these are metaphors for uh, an existence of punishment, right? And so is it everlasting physical um, punishment? You know, I don't know. I, th- I think there's reasons to believe that maybe not. Maybe it's a, a spiritual separation in the... The metaphors or descriptions of that, um, but the more important point is that, that it's 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 terrible and it's not what your soul was meant to to experience, and it will leave you separated from the one who you're you're meant to find your greatest fulfillment, and you'll be separated from him forever, forever. And um, you know that's not the sort of thing we want to base our life on. The risk there's a risk here. It's we can know the truth of the gospel and still not be saved. Faith is more than knowing facts. So Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All right, in James 2, 14 through 19. What good is it, 
my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. So this is something we talked about last week, right? Is that faith is more than just about belief. Faith is about trust. So if you have a faith, but you've never taken steps to live out that faith, you're still living uh, the same immoral lifestyle you were before. You still have a lack of concern about justice and making this world a a more gospel, grace-centered, Christ-filled kingdom. Um, Then I think you've got to question if your faith is real in the first place. Because real faith produces real change. And so we want to be the kind of people who... Um, have have true biblical faith, which includes both correct belief and correct trust. And so let's again this kind of this dichotomy paradigm. Let's not make the mistake of falling on, on either side, right? The, I, I've got friends, even kind of know some churches who kind of preach a gospel of only um, works, of only like show me your deeds, do the right things, do the right steps, don't do these immoral things, do stand up for this kind of justice, do go serve this kind of poor, and don't talk about how important it is to actually believe good theology, which, which is what saves us. <coughs> Then of course we all we all know Christians who would make an A plus on their um, theology exam and live lives that are nothing like a, a gospel grace in their life that we'd see in the Bible. So again, I just want to encourage us as as part of examining here. You don't have to choose. In fact, choosing misses the whole point. If you're choosing, if you want to be a Christian who has good theology or a Christian who has good behavior, you're missing the whole point. You should have a good theology which drives and leads you to, to gospel centered behavior. <coughs> There is nothing we can do to earn salvation. The gospel is the truth that salvation is a gracious gift of God through Jesus Christ. And so then I'll just kind of leave this question out there. <clears throat> is have you responded biblically to the gospel? Have you? Have, God presses this question on you as a, as a thinking person living in this moment in history. You are separated from God forever. These verses about hell, these verses about your future are true without without God. And so the question you've got to ask is, have you responded in the way that God's called you to respond to the gospel? And we talked about that some last week, exactly what does it mean to respond um, in biblical faith. It means, it means you're going to hear the gospel, you're going to believe the gospel, you are going to repent of your sins, you're going to confess Jesus Lord, and you're going to be baptized, you're going to be immersed uh, by water in, into faith in Jesus. And so I, I just want us all, it's not a question that anybody can answer for you, but I think it's a question that we all ought to consider. Okay, so if we choose to, this is point one, if we choose to live without Christ, we will die without Christ. Point two, if we choose to die to Christ now, we will live with Christ forever. Okay, if we choose to die to Christ now, we will live with Christ forever. So we've quoted a lot from John 3 uh, tonight, so let's go back a little bit earlier in the chapter to maybe the more famous part, John 3, verses 15 through 17. All right, John five twenty four. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who 
Great. And then Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I just want to think about that again. If righteousness could be gained from the law, then Christ died for nothing. Right? I, th- I think it's possible in 2019 to think if we, that the call, our calling is to live a more righteous life and to make the world better and to somehow earn God's favor. So we can serve the poor more. We can speak up more against injustices in the world. We can live a more holy life. We can be more sexually holy. We can... Um, ensure that we um, are, are generous and not greedy and so we do all these things I can make sure I have my devotional time every day is we can do all these things but I mean just listen to the, the, what the Bible says the, the Bible says that if righteousness could be gained through the law Christ died for nothing but of course Christ didn't die for nothing it wasn't an accident that Christ died on the cross why did he have to do that if righteousness could be gained through good works then the incarnation, Christmas, seems like the biggest overreaction in the history of reactions, right? We're going to take the second person of the Trinity and incarnate him into human form, make him live with his creatures for 33 years, then be murdered by them on a cross and enduring excruciating pain, separated from his father for three days, and then rise again in the resurrection. We're going to do all that, and salvation can be attained through just following some rules? <laughs> Like right, that would have been a much better strategy. Let's just let's maybe have a, a course on like seven steps to follow rules, right? That'd be a much like a much simpler, less overreaction. Uh, but but the truth is, that righteousness cannot be obtained through the law. We need a savior. We, no matter how hard you try, how hard you train, you're never going to jump to the moon, right? Doesn't matter. Like maybe you can even run a half marathon when you're pregnant. You're still not going to be in good enough shape to jump to the moon. You can't make that jump. You need grace to make that kind of leap to get to the holiness of God. Um, and so I, I think that verse is really expressing a profound truth. We are united with Christ's death and resurrection, making our old enslaved sinful death and our new self alive and free in Christ. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has a mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> I have a really good friend who for a long time really struggled with a specific sin in his life, just couldn't shake it. And he would struggle all the time, and he felt enslaved by this sin, right? And so in his mind, he felt like that you know what, I love God, and so I'm just going to try so hard to, to not do this sin. And so because I love God and I don't want to go to hell, I'm not going to do this sin. Um, but but ultimately, I, could, I probably would be happier if I could just engage in this sinful thing that I want to do, right? And um, through kind of a series of conversations and things that God did in his life, he came to discover that, that something like the opposite is true, right? So in grace, God's not 
holding you back from pleasure, right? God is not restricting blessings of pleasure and goodness and enjoyment on your life, right? God actually knows how you're designed because He designed you, right? He knows how you work. So the things that God keeps telling us, don't do this, don't do that, it's not because He wants to hold back pleasure from you. It's because He wants to give you more. <coughs> so if you talk to the same friend again today, he's stop doing those sinful things in his life. He say, I'm so much happier than before I was in life when I was struggling and fighting with sin because now I'm free and alive. He's not enslaved and dead. And so I just I just want to encourage us when you feel trapped by a sin of, of greed or immorality or um, impurity or selfishness or whatever, um, don't think that God's calling you to this more difficult way of living because he was wanting to restrict your pleasure in life. God's actually offering you something much more free and much more alive. And so that's hard in a culture, right? Like ours, that's enslaved to all kinds of sins of pleasure and materialism. And, uh, you know, we've gone over the whole list, racism, things like that. And so um, I just want to encourage us to, to rise above that. Um, and as you do, it's not just because you want to be a rule follower. It's because God's offered a better life in him. So we're free and alive. So Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1, 9-10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. All right, and through Christ we have a gracious and eternal inheritance. First Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So let me just leave on this. We talked a little bit about judgment today, but I just want you to remember that that God God has promised us a glorious inheritance in Him. So you have something waiting for you. It's enjoyment and celebration with God for eternity, with all the saints um, in heaven. And so that's that's a promise that we have in Christ, and God's assured us of that promise by raising Him from the dead. And um, so every time we preach about or mention hell, I think it, it's it's kind of honest to mention the promise of heaven, right? So that it's not there's not just one side of this coin. There's there's another side too. Okay, so kind of wrapping that up, those truths up. I want to kind of end on. So what does this mean for us? And so this is the urgency of eternity. So I want we've talked about how this in this before. We have we have some professional ministers in the room tonight. So um, I, I think it. it it might be. I said we have some some professional ministers in the room tonight. Oh, so, sorry, sorry, we were reading this. Not no, really I just. Um, but the point I was going to make is we've talked about it here before. Maybe we're not good enough to be professional ministers, but we all kind of want to view ourselves as ministers. So we're lay ministers. We got jobs that we go to, and we want to use those opportunities and talents to be ministers in the field that fields that God has, has put us in. And I really believe that's biblical. And so I want to think about, in our ministry, how do these truths impact the way we think about using our talents? So with eternity at stake, we do not have time to waste our lives on the superficial topics and ideas that dominate our culture. What do you think about how stupid like cable news is right now? Or even sports, right? And I, like, I'm obsessed with sports. I think and talk about them all the time. But really, like... 500 years from now, I'm not going to care if the Grizzlies get like a good draft pick. Like If they win the night, it's probably, it's, I'm not going to care 500 years from now. 
right? And so I'm not saying we can't enjoy or um, think about the, the, the temporal things that are happening, but let's not let them dominate our goals in life, right? Our goal, the goal for your life should be to impact eternity. And so we have a gospel to share, and eternity is hanging in the balance. So you need to know and understand the gospel well enough to explain it to others. <clears throat> I really want to charge every Christian with that. If, if, if a, a non-Christian friend came up to you and said, what is it about this Jesus thing that you're always talking about? Or you don't act the way that the rest of us do, and you say it's because of Jesus. What is that about? You should have an answer to that question. And, and, I, and I think the Bible says you should be able to answer that question. In fact, I know it does. I'll read the verse. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we want to think about how to gently and respectfully explain to people what it is that we believe. So consider how you can use your talents. Everybody in this room is so talented in so many different ways. So once you think about how can you use your talents and your blessings. So maybe more than we're talented, we're really blessed. The places that we were born, the educational opportunities that you were given, the people that have influenced you, the churches that you've grown up in, most of that is nothing that you did on your own merit. God graciously gave you this life in this time in history. And so what are you going to do with that blessing and the influence? <coughs> so some, in some ways appropriately, in some ways inappropriately so, the people in this room have undue or disproportionate influence over others. People look up to you for different reasons. And so a question I want, to, I want you to think about is how are you going to use your talents, blessings, and influence to make this gospel known within your sphere of influence and across the planet. So what are you doing with your time, your talents, your blessings, your influence, your money? What are you doing? Are you wasting it on things that won't matter 10,000 years from now? Or are you using those gifts on things that are going to matter forever? So examine is a great opportunity to invite unchurched medical and dental friends they, to, so that they can see what meaningful Christian friendships are like and hear the gospel. So I hope that this is a place you feel comfortable inviting people who maybe are unchurched or dechurched or maybe overchurched. I think there's a certain type of Christian that kind of misses the gospel because they're just so into church culture they never have kind of accepted the gospel. I, I mean, I went to youth group with a bunch of people that were that way. We were at church four or five times a week and then they got to be 23 and they didn't really see the point because they were kind of in it so much you just kind of miss it. So if you know somebody like that, I think this is a great place to invite them and share time together. Okay, so three questions about the urgency of eternity. I'm not going to answer these, but I want you to think about them. Do, you, do we realize people's condition, the blank there's condition? We have friends and family who are currently face a Christless eternity. Do you realize people's condition? Number two, do we possess the heart of Christ? Do you possess the heart of Christ? I want you to think about the way Christ preached and the way he treated people. Right? So what he believed and what he practiced. He was bold. He wasn't afraid to tell people the truth. He was also loving and spent zero time making people feel defensive. Right? He told people the truth but did it in a loving way. Do we love them? If we do, how should this change how we spend our time, money, and our resources? And number three, this is maybe the most important question. Do we want our lives to count? Do you want your life to count? Because 90 years from now, 100 years from now, everybody in this room, our physical body is going to be six feet under, and it's going to be over, right? And is it going to matter that you lived? You had a big house, went on nice vacations, made some good money, had a prestigious job. None of that's going to matter. It's going to be over. 
the things that, that will matter then are going to be the things that you did and the people you influenced that will, that will spread out, the waves will spread out into eternity. So do you want your life to ripple into eternity or do you want it to cease to matter after your funeral is over? This is a cause worth living for. It's a cause worth dying for. It is a cause worth moving urgently on. We have the gospel of Christ in us, and we do not have time to waste. That's a quote by David Platt in his book, Radical. So then lastly, I think, what, is it, what does a gospel-centered, outwardly-focused community look like? So we want to be a place like that that's gospel-centered, but it doesn't exist just for the people in the community, but exists and intentionally exists to, for people not, not in the community in order to bring them in through both truth and love. Right, so how are we sharing the truth of the gospel and the love of the gospel with people who are not yet within the, uh, the sphere of the gospel? All right, let me pray for us. Dear God, you are so good, and I just feel so inadequate uh, teaching on a topic like this that's so much bigger um, than, than human words and certainly my ability to articulate it. But I pray uh, that your truth, your spirit, will just indwell all of us tonight and motivate us uh, to live in a way that matters, to trust this gospel with our own lives, to recognize that we can trust you with our eternity, and God, then secondly, to give our lives up uh, for something that counts, to die to, to you, to die to Christ, so that we can live forever in glory and take as many people with us as possible. God, we thank you for the promises of new heaven and new earth and the opportunity to, to share eternity in your presence. We look forward to that day, and we pray your grace upon people who have not yet trusted in your name. We pray your grace on us to remain faithful. In your son's name we pray. Amen.